Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. <laughs> Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is time, ladies and gentlemen, to go on a bit of a hunt. It is time for a considered summation of where we are. It is time, my friends, for a declaration of the State of the Union. Now, normally, this kind of inventory of the world in which we find ourselves would be prognosticated upon by the Prime Minister. But today, it is going to be coming from me. We have had no Parliament now for over a week. We have a second day of hearings going on in the Supreme Court in that farce that we call uh, the carry-on panicking scenario. We have politicians making promises, breaking promises, sitting on fences and jumping ship. And the question I think now has to be asked, is there anyone out there telling the truth? EU Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker today says he has no emotional attachment to the Brexit backstop. Lib Dem leader Joe Swinson says she's offering the politics of respect, hope and inclusion, despite vowing to cancel Brexit against the voting power of 17.4 million people. Labour's Jeremy Corbyn has bafflingly admitted to remaining neutral while giving the Euro decision back to the people. And Boris Johnson says he has a plan, but he's not going to tell anyone what it is. Have you ever felt quite so dislocated from democracy? This morning, we'll be asking Remainers whether they've given up on their cause, and if not, why not? 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we'll bring you the mind-numbing details from the Panic Brigade down at the Supreme Court. We'll find out why so many women are dumbing down to make their boyfriends feel clever. And we'll be asking how a drug dealer is able to operate a YouTube account from inside his cell. 0344 499 1000. Also, we'll be checking in with LaDonna Harvey in the US of A over in San Diego to see how close we are getting to World War III. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Nigel Farage, the leader of the Brexit Party, who has come to Talk Radio fresh from a barnstorming speech in which he managed to accuse, not accuse really, just name the uh, Prime Minister of Luxembourg as a pipsqueak. I can't say I disagree with you, Nigel. Very good morning to you. Good morning. Yeah, I actually, I to me, it was quite polite, really. <laughs> well, there could have been a lot of other names used, I suppose, but it was a great speech. I just listened to it, where you basically said to uh, the, the Guy Verhofstadt, you know, the great fear of the European Union is that Britain leaves it uh, without a deal and then marches on to greater economic prosperity. That's right. I mean, what Verhofstadt was saying, it was, we will not allow the United Kingdom to be off our shores and undercutting us in regulation, undercutting us, and painting out that undercutting was some terrible thing. And actually, what they really fear here is that we become more competitive, because it is a global economy, and if we become more competitive, there'll be more investment coming into our country, and we will be more prosperous than they are. That is their ultimate nightmare, and, and that's why the backstop was originally put into the withdrawal agreement. It was put there to try and keep us trapped inside the European Union's customs union and single market. That's been the game from the very start. 
And are you worried, Nigel, that the, the deal that Boris Johnson is cooking up, because I believe that he is cooking up a deal, because he's running everybody down the road of, oh my God, we've got to stop no deal. And he's going to suddenly produce something out of a hat, which may not be that different from what we've seen before from Theresa May. I'm really sorry to say, but I was talking this morning to both Mr Juncker and Mr Barnier, the big cheeses, as it were, in, in Brussels. Yeah, fromage. Uh, it, Grand fromages, absolutely. Um, and what's absolutely clear is their tone about Boris Johnson has changed. Uh, they sounded very emollient today. And I think we are inches away from a deal being done on the 17th, 18th of October at the next European summit in Brussels, where they give a bit in terms of the wording of the backstop. Boris comes back to London waving a piece of paper, calling it a great triumph. And I worry... I worry that all the focus on one aspect of the withdrawal agreement, or more accurately, as we should call it, the new European treaty, even without the backstop, it's the worst deal in history. It leaves us tied inside European Union rules, subject to a foreign court, costs us $39 billion, and for any future trade deal, we're relying on their good faith and will. And I really think uh, Boris Johnson must not be allowed to get away with saying that the withdrawal agreement without the backstop is somehow Brexit, because it is not. But if he does come back with something like that and he manages to hoodwink everybody who has been against the bill in the first place and the, and the withdrawal bill that they've seen before, if they all vote for it, it goes through Parliament, goes through the Houses of Commons and the Lords. I mean, what can you do to stop it? Well, that would be Brexit in name only. Um, and there would have to be a subsequent general election in which the Brexit party would have to say, look, we're stuck. This doesn't work. We have to undo Boris's dreadful deal. And what about Guy Verhofstadt and his visitation to the Lib Dem conference? The Lib Dems, of course, who now say that they are the choice for respect, hope uh, and uh, democracy, having decided that they will actually cancel Brexit altogether. What about his speech? Can you imagine if he made that empire speech about the British Empire and how brilliant the British Empire was and how we should go back to that? we'd all be racists, wouldn't we? We'd all be bigots. We'd all be murderers. We'd all be guilty of genocide. Look, he was very clear that the EU is going to become a global empire. And I do not think there are very many people in the United Kingdom who would want any part of that. And that's the truth of it. We've had 50 years of being told, don't worry, little head. It's just all about trade and being good neighbours. It is not. They are building a super state in which the nation state virtually ceases to function in any democratic sense. And I thought, in a way, perhaps that did us all a favour. Is there any sense for you that there is no way that we can get out of it by October the 31st, though? Because time pretty much is against everybody here, isn't it? Well, I think in terms of getting a, just a genuine free trade deal, yes, of course, in the next 45 days, that ain't going to happen. Um, we could leave, of course, with a clean break Brexit on the 31st of October, although Parliament has done its best to stop Boris from doing it. I think, to be honest with you, uh, the only way we leave this thing is we need to have a general election. And if Boris goes for a clean break Brexit, I would then work with him and support him. He'd win a big parliamentary majority and we'd get the job done. Now, we keep hearing that there may be uh, wheels within wheels between you guys uh, and the Tories. Is there anything that you can tell me about uh, conversations that might have been had either behind closed doors or in corridors or in smoke-filled rooms like they used to be? Um, well, look, I, I would say this. If Boris goes down the route of Mrs May's deal 
reheated with a couple of amendments. There is no prospect of us working together whatsoever. None at all. So let's hope he decides that's not the right route. Let's hope he decides that a clean break is the right route. If he does, uh, then then I think coming to an accommodation will be very straightforward. And there are a lot of people, in fact, a big majority of people in the Conservatives and the Brexit Party that will be happy for one election only to put tribal loyalty aside, to have a non-aggression pact. And as I say, we'd be unstoppable, we'd win. If I put to you a scenario whereby Boris Johnson completely refutes any decision made by this court, which is currently uh, going on down in sort of kangaroo land in the Supreme Court, if he was to say, forget about that, forget about the, 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 uh, the Hillary Benn Act, we're going to go for a no-deal Brexit because that is the European law under which we are currently sort of uh, ruled. Uh, he then does that. They force him into an election. You join hands with him and the job is done. Absolutely. Absolutely. He would win a big majority of 50 to 100 seats. Um, he would smash Corbyn and he would have a parliament that was elected to deliver a clean Brexit. And for me, that's the best outcome. I think for a lot of us, it's the best outcome because at least we'd get this thing done and be able to get on with the rest of our lives. Is that the plan? Well, look, that's my plan. I don't yet know what his is. Okay. I fear, I fear, at the moment, he appears to be heading in the wrong direction. And when are we going to see your manifesto, Nigel, finally? Oh, I, that's a swear word. Manifesto. Manifestos are things produced by Labour and Conservative parties and indeed Liberal Democrats, which are just open, willful deceptions to the public. Uh, they never even intend to keep them. Um, and what I'm going to produce is a contract with the British people. OK. Nigel Farage, thank you very much indeed. Nigel Farage, head of the Brexit party there, uh, saying there is a way that Boris Johnson can leave without a deal. There is a way uh, for that to happen. And the Brexit party would be more than happy uh, to come together and help the Tories to do that. Fascinating stuff. 0344 499 1000. You never know what you're going to hear next on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Imagine if you went to jail. And you thought to yourself, this is going to be a nightmare. I'm going to be eating terrible food. I'm going to be locked in a cell with dangerous people who are going to be trying to rob me or possibly worse. I'm going to have to watch myself everywhere I go. I'm going to be surrounded by people taking drugs. I'm going to be surrounded by murderers. However, if you are Sam Walker, in fact, you get to run your own YouTube channel. Have a listen to this. I'm Jim and AMD two are outside my cell, so saying you want to have a wrap-off. So introduce yourself, boys. Scotty D. My name's Carney. Scotty D and Carney. In HMP, do you want to have a wrap off to you? Yeah, yeah. Go on, you go first, you can. I'll go first. Go on. Running from the boys in blue, I'm like Nino, 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 Life to Cadito, Seesaw, Seesaw. Uh, I'm thinking about the times when I was lonely, now I'm sat in HMP, can't wait to get released ASAP quickly, move smartly, never smarties. He's serving 33 months in a Category B prison in Leeds. Let's talk to Andre Walker, uh, who is, of course, a talk radio presenter and a columnist, to find out what he makes of this. Andre, very good morning to you. Good morning. Well, I have to say, Mike, I would normally say don't give up your day job <laughs> with the Nino, 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 seesaw, seesaw, seesaw line. But actually, anything is better than being a convicted criminal who's in prison. So I think that that guy should attempt a rap career. But actually, there's a serious point here, and it's this. I think a lot of listeners on talk radio are going to be fairly shocked at the idea that prisoners can run social media accounts from prison. But it's not particularly unusual. There's a popular YouTube channel called Troll Station who faked a robbery on, um, I think it was the Tate Modern on Millbank right. and was sent to prison for it. 
Um, what they did was they ran out with paintings purporting to be the real paintings, and they fully documented their time in prison on social media and indeed on YouTube. Uh, it's pretty obvious that we're not putting enough resources or we're not doing enough of whatever it is we need to do to prevent these criminals from having a party inside prison. Well, it seems as though one of the places that you can do almost anything you want, for sure, is inside jail. You're allowed to smoke, I believe, still inside prison. Cigarettes are banned, of course, in every other part of the nation. Uh, you can get probably more drugs and easy, more easily available drugs in prison than you can get on the outside. Um, you can get to watch football matches. You can get to have PlayStations to play on. You know, without having to buy any of this stuff, it all appears to be available. Yeah, and, and the problem that I think we've seen today is this, that uh, the prison service, uh, you know, for whatever reason, and by the way, Mike, my instinct is to believe that the prison service are doing a good job in difficult circumstances, but there's been a third degree of hand-wringing. What they've said is they've said that there are worries running social media accounts, although the Twitter account has been now shut down. Right. There are worries running uh, social media accounts. They've attempted to find his phone, uh, but in the absence of being able to find it, there's not a great deal they can do. Now, it just seems to me that, you know, taking photographs or videos inside prison ought to be some sort of a criminal offence. And the fact that there is clear evidence that he's done it, even if they don't have the camera, then surely there ought to be some punishment. Well, you would have thought so. Also, I mean, I've been to parts of Britain where you can't get a mobile phone signal. I've been to uh, hotels where they block a mobile phone signal, so you have to use their phones. Surely it's not uh, out with the will of man uh, and the sensibilities of the prison service to actually block a mobile phone signal. Well, see, what the, what the prison services uh, union has said today is that what they really need is enough metal detectors because the problem is, and look, you know, I'm not going to say this as we come up to lunchtime properly, but, you know, if you have a very small mobile phone, there is a place you can shove it yes. which is going to <laughs> make it easy to conceal. Indeed. I, you know, I won't go any further than that, but obviously if you were to take a look on eBay now, you'll see that there are phones that you can buy that might be only an inch and a half long. Sure. So obviously... There is, you know, there is an issue there. And obviously, unless you can metal detect people, you wouldn't know. But I think there's a much more serious problem here. If you remember the infamous drug dealer Curtis Warren, yes. you know, he was convicted of running a criminal empire from inside a prison with a mobile phone. Now, from my point of view, it's annoying to see a convicted drug dealer mucking about and, and sticking two fingers up at the good taxpaying people of this country. But if he can run a YouTube account, what other things can be run from prison? And certainly Curtis Warren proved that an international criminal empire is one of them. Well, not only that, but of course, witness intimidation has been known to happen from behind bars. And if they're able to get their hands on, you know, mobile phones and they're able to send emails by, uh, by and they're able to send text messages, you know, all sorts of horrible stuff could be going on. So and it's, 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 of course, Mike... Mike, I'll make you laugh at this one. And if you don't believe me, please do feel free to look it up. There was a guy who was a fraudster who set up a very similar email account to the court service. Right. I think it was something like he registered the domain courtservice.uk mm. rather than courtservice.gov.uk and sent an email to the governor of the prison releasing himself <laughs> and was in fact released. And it was God. only two weeks later when his uh, solicitor came round to visit him that they said, well, he's been released. And, uh, and it just shows you. Now, you know, if you have access to email and phones and technology, then, you know, people who are, some of them very clever, have an, a great deal of time on the hands, and therefore that creates risk. And once again, if you can send an email releasing yourself, 
then, you know, somebody with that level of expertise with the right equipment, what can they do potentially to prison officers? What can they do to police officers? Yep. And what can they do, as you say, in terms of witness intimidation? Well, exactly. And also YouTube, I think, should bear a fair amount of, uh, of sort of responsibility here. I know you've said that, the, that it would appear that the Twitter account has been shut down. But, you know, we've got a big problem with YouTube, I think, at the moment. We've got these groups of youths in this country. I don't know whether you saw, uh, I was going around a couple of weeks ago, uh, the kids who were on bikes going through a, a, um, a supermarket and basically sort of knocking people over and nicking stuff and all of that. And they decided to put it up, and they've now become quite famous. There's also video footage of them going down a road, you know, en masse, about 12 of them on bikes, you know, terrifying, terrifying the traffic, terrifying drivers, terrifying pedestrians. They film it all and they put it up on YouTube and they get sort of a million hits from people watching it. And people make money off it. Yeah. The famous case of the Jalal brothers in Australia, who, what they do, because I think they're of Middle Eastern descent, they think it's very funny uh, to dress in traditional Arabic clothing and throw pretend bombs at people. Mm. Now, that, will, that has got their millions upon millions of views and presumably made them comparatively rich. But obviously, as you can imagine, the chaos and upset that, that ensues. But of course, the problem is, if you do something controversial, and as you say, YouTube are not going to stop you doing it, then the more crazy, the more outlandish, the more controversial, the bigger it's going to be, the more money you're going to make. Yeah, well, I spoke to a guy about this the other day, about this new kind of clamping down on trolling and trying not to uh, to basically pay any attention to people who are abusive on, on social media, and that the social media uh, companies themselves are not incentivised to stop this kind of activity because they're making money out of it as well. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, there's, there's a great video, actually, by the, by the London group, Troll Station, where they've actually recorded being talked to by the police. Right. And, it just, and it's very frustrating to listen to, because, of course, the police film unit say to them, look, if you want to do pranks in the street, that's no problem. We have a permit system. We also have, and they said, as an example, if you wanted to do something at Downing Street, I don't know if you know that John Adams Street has a very similar door to Downing Street that you could film there. Well, of course, they took precisely no notice of them. And given that YouTube are not going to force them to take any notice, you know, the police are very limited in what they can do in cases like that. Fundamentally, unless YouTube takes this material down and continue and doesn't continue paying people ad revenue when they get a million hits, it will continue to happen. Yeah, it is absolutely extraordinary. Andre, thank you very much indeed. Andre Walker uh, talking to us there about the incredible story uh, that we came across this morning uh, of this character who's in prison. He's in a Leeds prison. He's a drug dealer. However, he is putting out regular videos. In one video, he claims to have filmed camera shy, as he calls him, Charles Bronson, the guy who spent much of the past four decades in prison for a series of violent crimes. A caption alongside the video says, Big Charlie Bronson becomes camera shy while I video him, all six foot five and 20 stone of him. Um, some have questioned if it really is Bronson, uh, but uh, he was reported to be an HMP Woodhill in Milton. The point is this guy, Walker, uh, who's been done for 45 convictions on 130 different offences over drugs and driving convictions. Um, and this is the same guy who skipped court by hiring a private plane to fly to West Africa. He obviously thinks of himself as a bit of a prankster. Surely there must be a way of locking this guy in a cell um, and somehow sealing the cell off electronically so that he can't do anything. Otherwise, this is just a mockery of the justice system, isn't it? 0344 499 1000 is the number. You can tweet us at Talk Radio. You can text us as well. 87222 is the number. That'll cost you 25p plus your standard network rate. Let's hear from some of you, not just on what we've been talking about right now with the crime and justice system, but also we're going to be talking to you about what Nigel Farage had to say to us. And, of course, what about those Lib Dems who think that they are actually democratic? This is Talk Radio.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Kenny says this, that Numpty inside prison with a YouTube account. This is simple to fix. Hey, Numpty, close that YouTube account and give me that phone or we will add a year to your sentence. Job done. Well, that does sound, of course, like common sense. But, of course, you would find that that would be very difficult to do because you'd have to make sure that you got some judge involved. You'd have to get some court to say that that was OK to do. And, of course, that ain't going to happen. Hosser says all prisons need to do is fit the same sockets that the Scottish Parliament installed that stop staff charging personal items because a three-pin UK plug doesn't fit. No charging batteries, no phones. That's not a bad idea as well. Uh, let's go to Lorraine, who's in Camden in London. Hi, Lorraine. Hello, Mike. It's an absolute pleasure to speak to you because I've been following you on Twitter and I'm not nervous because I'm not ringing to disagree with you on anything. (laughs) That's okay. You can if you want. No, no, no. Um, I just noticed that you happened to say, you know, the question mark over whether that is Charlie in the video. Yes. And I can say categorically it's not him. Okay. Um, I I was involved with Charlie for six years and I know the real Charles Bronson. Okay. Um, He... He's not six foot something. He's uh, he's actually a lot smaller in real life. Isn't he? I wondered if that was true, yeah. He's five foot ten and a half. Okay. He's approximately 16 stone. He's not this big bearded monster that people think he is. Um, and he, he will not be in a cell mixing with guys with phones. The guy is spending his life at the moment in the CSC, what they call the CSC, which is the Close Supervision Centre okay. in Woodhill. So, 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 so he's not in Leeds at all? No, he's in Woodhill, which is Milton Keynes. He okay. will only be allowed out when he's escorted by approximately four to six guards. So he's on a kind of so it's solitary confinement, although he is making some progress as we speak. Okay. Um, Are you still in touch but, with him? Um, sporadically. I'll get the odd letters from him. You okay. know, he kind of, we went our separate ways when he got married, and I know that didn't work out for him, but I, I did campaign heavily for him in the past. Right. I, I just find it sad that people just try and jump on this bandwagon, and, and it doesn't help him, I don't think. I mean, there was a time, wasn't there, in the 90s, because I was working on The Express, I remember, at the time, and we had a reporter who had a sort of relationship with him, you know, in terms of they would speak to each other quite regularly, and he would be okay. quite happy to give interviews and stuff. I can't remember the reporter's name, to be, to be honest, but, but you know, he came across as a guy who quite liked the publicity, if you know what I mean, at that yeah, time. Yeah, I think he's, he's certainly been accused of that, and I don't think he's helped himself in the past. Um, I think when you gain that sort of reputation, it's difficult to play it down. And his difficulty now is that he's trying to work through the system. He's made a very small breakthrough in as much as they've recently put in the press that he's allowed to mix with four other prisoners. Very, They would have been very carefully selected prisoners. Another thing that I would say is that the suggestion that he's in a cell, sort of hovering away from someone involved in drugs, 
if he was, he, they would not put him with someone that's involved in drugs. Charlie is very, very anti-drugs, and he would not be stood there with a drug dealer okay. filming him. It's not going to happen. Can I just ask you, Lorraine, how you got mixed up with him in the first place? Uh, <laughs> mixed up's probably a good way to say it. <laughs> uh, actually, it was just because I, I had a genuine kind of curiosity is why is this guy still inside what's he done and i thought he'd murdered someone and when you find out he hasn't you kind of think well why is he still there so i did some research started looking on his website got involved with the guy that ran his website and i was writing to politicians and uh the kind of people that can affect change long before i ever contacted charlie but when i did this guy that ran the website said you should you should write to him he should know all the stuff you're doing to try and help and it just went from there. We had a, a, okay. a correspondence, and right. then it just said one day, do you want to come and visit? And it went from there. Fascinating story. Well, Lorraine, really appreciate you calling up and telling us that and putting us straight on that. Uh, let's go now to Gareth in Manchester who wants to talk about Brexit. Hi, Gareth. Uh, hi, Mike. How you doing? Yeah. What do you want to tell us? Well, I was I was going to say that I was confident things are going to, everything's going to happen by Halloween. But uh, after listening to Nigel Farage, I'm not so sure now. Well, I mean, I wonder whether there's enough time apart from anything else. I know that if he gets the, the, the deal that he wants to get, then great. But I'm slightly concerned, as, as is Nigel, that the deal that he's going to get uh, isn't going to be that good. I mean, my initial feeling is, generally of late, is that all this nonsense that's going on with the courts and Gina Miller and everything all this last few weeks is just... A load of nonsense to sell newspapers. It's just, a, it's just a, well, I don't think it's going to sell any newspapers. Is that boring? But I mean, it is a distraction, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, because every time you see Dominic Raab or Javid or Pretty Patel being interviewed, they all seem very composed and relaxed and they know the drill. You know, there's no blag. I think, and, and like you keep hearing on the radio about get ready for Brexit, it's everywhere, it's being promoted. They spent more money this time getting prepared. And I just think they wouldn't be doing all this if they weren't pretty sure that they're going to get us out. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. It seems like they're knuckling down to make it happen this time. Yes. But there again, I've, spoke, I've heard Nigel Farage speak and, you, and then you think, wow, well, what if Johnson does just come back with a... Yeah, well, I will just have to wait and see. He's playing a pretty clever game, Gareth. I'll tell you what we should do before we talk to Harry and Portsmouth. Let's have a listen to what Nigel Farage said uh, at the European Parliament when he was up there speaking. One thing is clear, and that is from the emollient tone we've heard this morning from Juncker and Barnier, we're actually very close to a deal on the backstop being agreed at the summit on the 17th of October. Um, and of course, uh, both sides will try and present this as a negotiating victory. Maybe worth reminding ourselves uh, that this treaty, even without the backstop, is a very bad deal for Britain. It'll leave us trapped inside European Union rules. It'll leave us under the auspices of the European Court. And having given everything away in the withdrawal agreement, the worst part is that any future relationship relies on good faith. We put ourselves entirely in your hands. We put ourselves, indeed, at your mercy. And I would suggest that events that we've seen across Europe this week do not indicate that good faith exists. I'm, of course, referring to the pipsqueak Prime Minister of Luxembourg, who set out to ritually humiliate a British Prime Minister in the most astonishing way, only to be greeted like a hero by President Macron at the Elysee Palace yesterday. And it's very clear to me that keeping us trapped inside this 
was the objective of Barniers from the start, to keep us inside, and you said it this morning, to keep us inside the customs union. And we've seen from other speakers today, the fear is that the UK breaks out of the customs union, breaks out of single market rules, and we become more competitive, and we become much wealthier outside the European Union than within it. Mr Verhofstadt, we want no part of your European empire. The only way forward now to deliver on the referendum is for a clean break Brexit. Once we've done that, we'll have a grown-up conversation about trade and about the way forward. Thank you. Brexit party leader Nigel Farage uncharacteristically getting applauded, of course, by his own party because before, uh, when there weren't that very many of them, uh, you'd only hear sort of uh, murmurings and slight boos. Uh, but now, of course, you hear clapping because the Brexit party has got 29 uh, members fully paid up of the European Parliament. Let's talk to Harry in Portsmouth. Hi, Harry. Yes, I think we've turned up the binaural stereo, haven't we? And we're getting far more favourable comments. Yes, well, I think so. Interesting what Nigel said, though. I think, like he does, that Boris is edging towards a deal. The question is, what kind of deal? Yeah, I've suspected that. He, the leadership came up. He's got a transition from May to Mrs May to October. How can he do it? He can't do it unless he virtually cobbles, cobbles her deal back together. But I'm not sure that if he does cobble that deal back together that it gets through Parliament for a fourth time, because if it ain't that different, there's going to be lots of reasons not to vote for it in Parliament, aren't there? Well, they've all been ticked off. I mean, some Labour MPs said they'd wish they'd voted for May de the May deal, didn't they? They did, and they still are saying that. But, of course, I don't know how many of them there are, and I'm not sure how many of them would eventually do it. Uh, like a lot of them have said in the past, if they thought it was going to, if it was going to pass, they might vote for it. But if they think it's not going to, they don't want to, um, you know, rebel against their own party. I must congratulate your music selectors again. Ian Lee last night, he did uh, Different Drum. Oh, yeah. Including Linda Ronstadt, yeah? Now, there is a quote, which I can't quite remember properly, but it, 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 it's quite apposite. Um, if you see a, a man and he, he can't hear what you're saying to him... It may be that he's marching to the sound of a different drum. Yes, I see what you're saying there. Thank you, Harry. Uh, we'll get more of that coming up in the next hour. 0344 499 1000. There's a lot of drums being marched to, I think, at the moment, politically speaking. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000. Matthew Wright coming up at one o'clock, of course. You've got lots of time to get your calls in uh, and not a lot of you will uh, get on because uh, I know a lot of you yesterday weren't able to. Uh, we'll try and get as many of you on as possible. We're into day two now, of course, uh, of the Supreme Court hearing. Uh, yesterday we spoke to our talk radio reporter on the scene, Ollie Cole. Uh, he's been watching what's been going on this morning. It didn't kick off terribly early. It was after half past ten uh, before they all managed to sort of coagulate inside the Supreme Court in front of 11 judges, remember. Yesterday we heard an awful lot from Lord Panic, who's Gina Miller's lawyer. Uh, Ollie, a very good morning to you. What's been happening? 
Good morning. Well, uh, this morning we are hearing uh, from a man named James Earl. Now, he is the lawyer who is representing the government in that, uh, in that Gina Miller case. Right. Basically, he's arguing that uh, this isn't a matter for the courts and, you know, we should carry on as is. Now, we heard a fair amount of that sort of late yesterday afternoon, didn't we? When a different, I think it was uh, a lawyer called Keane, was it, who was up yesterday afternoon saying more or less the same thing, talking about how basically, you know, there is no precedent for this to be in a court of law, uh, but there is an awful lot of precedent for the prorogation of Parliament. Yeah, so uh, that was Lord Keane talking about the, the case in Scotland where it was ruled that Boris Johnson had acted unlawfully. Uh, like you say, Mike, t- uh, today we're sort of hearing the, the opposite of what we heard yesterday. So this, the, because there are two cases uh, being looked at here, uh, we've got uh, uh, Sir um, James Earl this morning mm. talking basically about what Lord Keane was saying about how there needs to be a separation of powers between what is political, what is for the judiciary to decide upon. And one of those key points that he rests his uh, sort of argument on is that prorogation is political whatever it, whatever, whatever circumstance, uh, because it deals with Parliament. And actually it should be up to Parliament uh, to sort of pass legislation and like they have a couple of times in the past sort of stopped or reduced the amount of prorogation time. Uh, and so Parliament didn't do that on this occasion, so it's not really up for the to, for the courts to to step in. Of course, uh, people on the other side of the argument will will refute that completely. But that's kind of what he's been arguing this morning. And one of the things they seem to be getting their sort of knickers in a twist about yesterday was whether or not, if in fact the court did rule that the prorogation was in some way unlawful, what would then happen? Because yesterday's government uh, QC was kind of saying, well, he was trying to say, well, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, would then obviously undertake to do uh, whatever the court instructed him to do without actually saying what that would be. Yeah, so I think that was probably one of the most significant moments of political interest yesterday, where it actually came down to what will be the actions of the Prime Minister uh, if the case is, is sort of ruled against him. And like you're saying, Lord Keane was a little bit on and off with that. He couldn't answer fully what the Prime Minister could do because, of course, Boris Johnson uh, is occasionally a will into his own. But uh, he did offer some clarification. I think we can hear from, uh, from Lord Keane and what he had to say now. It's quite a difficult concept, isn't it, uh, Lord Keane? This is unlawful, but it's valid. It is because uh, the courts are not to cross the boundaries uh, and intrude upon the proceedings in Parliament. They may make the appropriate declarator. Uh, and I would take up a point uh, mentioned towards the end of his submission by my learned friend, Lord Panic. Uh, if this court finds that the advice of the Prime Minister was unlawful, uh, the Prime Minister will take all necessary steps to comply with any declaration made by the court. And it sounds to me like they've been quite clever here, aren't they? Because they're basically attempting to make out there's a difference between Boris Johnson's advice being unlawful uh, and or misleading. Yeah, I I mean, what the argument is is revolving around uh, from the government side is that whatever Boris Johnson said, prorogation in and of itself is political. Mm. And so they've been looking sort of more widely at the matter of prorogation, the sort of context, the precedents that have been set in the past and uh, and how people have suspended Parliament in the past and whether that is a political matter that the court should step in with. Now, in terms of 
uh, the Miller case and the Scottish case, they are focusing more so on this particular incident and this uh, moment and context and the background of what's happening at the moment. So there's less of a sort of wide-reaching um, look at prorogation and look through the past uh, from their side. They're saying there is no precedent. This is a unique uh, case, but it is one that the courts need to talk about. OK. And was there any reaction this morning to Boris Johnson's statement that uh, the judges should stay neutral and that they risk entering the political arena? Because you can imagine they wouldn't really like being lectured to by the Prime Minister. Well, quite. I mean, we've had a sort of uh, a, a few parties mentioning this. I know that uh, uh, the Labour Party, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, um, sort of <laughs> emphasised the point earlier this week to his party members and, and ministers that, um, you know, you've got to respect the, the neutrality of the courts and we, we've got to be careful not to, not to uh, in this political climate, stoke up any sort of fire against them. Um, and Boris Johnson has just poked that a little bit uh, yeah. last night in this morning. But I think on the whole, whatever the judiciary decides, whatever the Supreme Court decides here, I mean, there is no higher place you can go. So it's got to be taken, whatever the matter is, and you've just kind of got to get on with it. Yes, and I suppose the best news for everyone concerned uh, is that they appear to have got their bundles in the right order today. Lady Hale, apparently, has now finally been given the correct bundle one day late. Yes, I mean, I've never seen a smile quite like it. <laughs> uh, it, um, it, it was amazing. It was literally four minutes into uh, today's proceedings, the bundles got mixed up again. Uh, and, then really? Lady Hell's, and then Lady Hell's computer stopped working. Right. So that caused some more problems. See, I mean, these aren't, these, aren't, these aren't sort of um, uh, abnormal matters in court cases, large, high-profile court cases. It's a lot of paperwork and, and, and there's a lot uh, to get through. And things do get mixed up from time to time. But yeah. I think it's because... Everyone's watching, you know, I think about four million odd were watching uh, the, the hearing yesterday that people are going, oh, my gosh, they can't even get their papers in order. I, see, I mean, it's become like the sort of British version of the O.J. Simpson trial. This is tremendous. <laughs> I can't believe so many people are actually watching it, but I'm one of them. I have to say, Ollie, thanks very much indeed. Ollie Cole at Talk Radio's roving reporter down there at the Supreme Court watching what is going on. I have to say, it does still seem to be a complete and utter colossal waste of time and money. And I'll be absolutely gobsmacked if they come back and declare that Boris Johnson's proroguing of Parliament was, in fact, unlawful. And even if they do do that, nobody knows what happens next. It's absolutely nonsensical, isn't it? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I was asking about honest politicians earlier. Now we're going to be asking about honest listeners to this radio station because I want you, if you're a woman who's ever done this, to ring me and tell me what you did, why you did it, and how it all worked out. And you know the number, 0344 499 1000. Have you honestly gone out with someone and pretended to be a little bit thicker than you really are just so they didn't run off? Have you? Really? Are you that dishonest? Let's talk to Nadia Essex. Nadia, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Now, listen, I've got to ask you the same question, Nadia. Surely you haven't done this terrible trickery on men, have you? You're pretending to be stupid so that they won't run off? I mean, like, I, it's one of those things because, first of all, uh, there's way more than six out of ten women. We've all done it. <laughs> but it's not for the reasons that you think. Like, you don't dumb yourself down so that they don't run off. Right. You just naturally, on a date, you you kind of dumb yourself down to talk about something that somebody else is interested in. And it's more a case of, I think, the rejection side of it. Like, you want, on a date, that person to like you. So you try and find 
common bonds. And if you don't have any, there's nothing more flattering than somebody who doesn't know about football, learning about football from someone who's really passionate about it. Right. And so, therefore, you're dumbing yourself down. So it's kind of a re- it's actually it's not dishonest. It's actually a really intelligent, emotionally mature skill to actually get people to to like you. It, yeah, you but know. getting people to like you when you're pretending to be somebody else is not getting people to like you, though, is it? Well, you're not really pretending to be someone else. It's just you're not, you're, you know, you, you know, you're, it's like a job interview. You're going to be on your, you're not going to go into a job interview and say, yeah, so sometimes when I'm hungover, I call in sick. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, you're just not going to tell the truth. Like, you're going to say the best parts of yes. it. And I think that's what happens on a date. And I think, like, it's changing now. I think, in truth, and we can't blame guys for this. This is society. Men, in general, before I get absolutely killed on social media, men's egos are exceedingly fragile because of things like toxic masculinity and things like that. They've grown up where it's like so fragile. And, you know, if they get criticised by a woman, their defences come up and it's all mummy issues and there's lots of baggage with guys. And they're learning and they're changing and they're evolving, which I love. But still, there are some guys out there that are so, so fragile when it comes to certainly women and dating mm. that, you know, God forbid a, a woman sort of out uh, outperforms him at work or out-earns him and their egos are just shattered. So for an easy life, sometimes it's easier just to... So would you pretend, person. say, to be less well-known then or pretend to be less well-off if you were going out with somebody that was reasonably good-looking but not terribly bright? Yeah, I mean, I, I have definitely gone out with guys that don't earn as much money as me. Right. And you absolutely have to change the way that you articulate yourself because, it, it, it again, it, it's fragile egos. It, you know, men feel, not all of them, some men feel extremely threatened by a woman that earns more than them. I've so been, I spent my entire life looking for one, Nadia. Yeah, listen, it happens, though. That's the thing, you know, you can't find it. But sometimes you look and look and you can't find it. But, you know, I used to bring home a pair of shoes that would cost, you know, 400 quid. But yeah. for me, I could afford it. I, I earned my money, I worked hard, and I could afford a 400-pound pair of shoes. But I'd have to hide those shoes, and I'd have to pretend that they didn't cost as much because he couldn't afford that style of living. And so you just change the way you are. It, it's not right, definitely. It definitely isn't right, no, because, I mean, definitely. I'm wondering if there's just an, an awful lot of very stupid men out there. Because, one, yeah, one think... they're stupid in the first place because they can't work out that you're doing something that you're having to do because they're stupid. And secondly, <laughs> um, they're, too, they're too stupid to realise they're stupid, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I think it is, it's, it's evolving out of that because women are becoming more empowered and men are becoming less fragile. You know, that's what's great, that we're moving in the right direction, certainly, where you can have an honest conversation and men don't run away if you earn more money than them. They actually applaud you because you've worked your backside off and you've got to where you want to be. So it's moving in the right direction, but there are still some really old-fashioned thinking guys that actually they can't help it. Their, their, their ego is totally bruised if they feel like the person sitting in front of them is more intelligent than them or earns more money than them or is more successful than them in any way, shape or form. It's, it's a real shame. But, but I think by women being empowered and going, do you know what, I'm not going to dumb myself down for your ego. Hence, men have now had to raise the bar. And so equally, everyone's just living in a better world and a more authentic, honest world. And are you still going out with men who are obsessed with cars and football? Because it says here that 31% of people uh, asked about it, women, pretended to be interested in cars and football when they didn't really care. Is that really what it's like? 
I mean, yeah, well, it's not even, it's not, again, it's not as quite as harsh that you don't sort of pretend you're interested. I, you take an interest because it's their interest. Just the same way that I would expect someone to take an interest in one of my hobbies, for yeah. example, if I had a season ticket for something. And, you know, I like the tennis, for example. They they would be taking an interest in that. But, yeah, you, you kind of do. And, and you want, you know, it's some, it's nice to to kind of learn something new as well. Like, I see it as a learning opportunity. Like, I don't know a lot about football. I don't know a lot about cars. But, you know, if somebody's really passionate about it, them speaking passionately about their passion actually, for me, is a massive turn-on. So mm. I'm like, well, you crack on, keep talking, because I love people that are passionate about something. Yes. Well, you want to be passionate about something. Now, I'm looking at what women want from men, the top ten things. I don't see passion in there, funnily enough. I see faithfulness as number one, sense of humour number two, ambition, style, intelligence. So you don't care how stupid they are, really. It's only number five. Good manners, sexiness, performance, romance, generosity is quite low. Number ten. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's weird because I saw that as well and I was quite shocked. But also pleasantly surprised. Like I, I don't know. I think that's quite a nice balance. Yeah, no, I suppose it is. But nowhere in there actually is good looking. Exactly, which is the one thing that it, it, I was really shocked about, but pleasantly surprised about. Because, but we all know that if you ask men the same question, number one would be looks, because men, women don't look with their eyes; they look with their heart. Whereas yeah. men look with their eyes first, and then if they're physically attracted, then things come after. So it's not a surprise in terms of too much because we we do. Uh, me personally, I'm attracted to a person, a person. I'm not attracted to a look. Like I don't find, uh, you know, obviously you can say, oh yeah, Brad Pitt's gorgeous. But if he's got a bad person. I think he's losing his looks, to be honest. Well, I don't know. I saw the new GQ and back, I was like, oh, hello. <laughs> um, but, but if he's got a bad personality... I, I, you know, straight away, I don't find him in any way attractive. I'm not sure faithfulness is particularly high on Brad Pitt's uh, radar, to be honest. Yeah, and I'm, I'm actually really surprised that it's high on women's um, radar because it's one of those things where it's almost a bit like, you know, well, women, you know, we all know women cheat as just as much as men cheat in some cases. We know that, but it's a really interesting thing that that comes for me. I want to have a monogamous, monogamous relationship, so faithfulness. It isn't even a request. No. It's just the standard given. Like, I, I, I'm surprised it's number one because it's almost like a desperate request yeah. that we're looking for. Whereas for me, there's no conversation to be had. We, we're going to be monogamous and that's, that's that. Right. I mean, you know, knowing what you know about Love Island and the sort of the IQ levels of some of the people on there, presumably all the women on Love Island uh, have been pretending they're not as um, uh, smart as they really are. Maybe that's why they come across as so stupid. Well, definitely. I mean, this series, they the, the last series just gone, they had some extremely intelligent people on there. You know, Yuande was um, some sort of university absolute brain box, and one of the guys was an engineer. Like, there actually were some really intelligent people. Unfortunately, though, in telly terms, intelligence doesn't sort of equate viewing figures. No. So, you know, it's about the drama, it's about the dumbing down. You know, the people, unfortunately, people don't want to see two intelligent people have a conversation. They want to see the, the dummies have a conversation about Brexit and mean there's no more trees. You know, that, that's the, the <laughs> Although, I must admit, we, maybe, maybe times are changing. Four and a half million people apparently were watching the uh, Supreme Court live stream yesterday. So, you know, I'm not sure anybody's understanding it, but they're all watching it. I know, it's mad, isn't it? But it's great. It's the, I mean, love it or hate it, it's the first time that people are actually going out of their way to try and understand 
some sort of this political world. Mm. And 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 that you know again we 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 we're, we're learning human beings. We want to know more about more stuff and. I, I just think this is only a good thing, apart from when you get into a conversation, like, do not talk about Brexit on a date. It is now the number one thing. Like, forget, <laughs> forget politics, forget, um, you know, exes. Brexit is the number one thing you must not talk about on a date because it's just, it leads to disaster. I'm sure it does. Now, you made a little announcement the other day, didn't you? I did. Well, tell us. I am with child. You are? Well, congratulations. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes. When when are you when are you due, as they say? I'm due in um, spring 2020. Okay, could so be I'm Brexit literally... baby then. Well, I mean, hang on, we're supposed to be leaving on the 31st. Yeah, yeah, right. Listen, I've still got faith in Boris. Okay, okay? all right. Until I hear otherwise, I'm like, come on, Boris. All right, so it'll be blue so, passport time for the baby then. Yeah, hopefully we'll be. You know, by spring we'll have we'll have left. Everything will have settled down, and there'll be some new crazy drama that. that oh, there will, yeah. Any chance of naming naming him Boris if he's a boy? No. <laughs> Sorry, Boris, but no. No, okay then. But, I'm not going to run yeah. through all the other possibilities, but um, we, I wish you lots of luck. Uh, you'll be great fun for you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you very much indeed. Nadia Essex, dating expert there. Don't ever mention Brexit on a date. Probably the best advice you've ever heard uh, from any radio station at all in the whole history of the radio. I want to hear from some of you women out there. Though. Have you really dumbed down uh, to pretend to be less intelligent than you are in order to snare a boyfriend? 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.